Okay, we're beginning here on the bottom of Samach Bet, three lines from the bottom. Bayi Rabbo. Rabbo here is asking a series of questions with regards to Hakama and Hafara to understand the halachic parameters or boundaries of when it's considered to be Hakama, when the husband goes ahead or the father goes ahead and upholds the nether of the daughter or of the wife. And Hafara, their ability to negate, nullify that nether. So Rabbah is testing out all different types of scenarios to understand how binding is Hakama and Hafara vis-a-vis each other, and in of themselves, what is the parameters or limitations of those halachot. And once again here, Rabbah poses a question. By Rabbah, Kaim laichi hayom mahu. He says that I uphold the nether for today. What is the din? Miam rinon. Do we say You can infer from his statement that if he only upholds it today, that means that he wants to nullify it starting tomorrow. Or, on the other hand, that's not what he meant to say. He meant to say, I'm keeping it today, I'm upholding it today, and that's all he said. We won't infer anything from what he said. Now, in the abstract, if you to look at this question by itself, the assumption would be that if he explicitly said that he was Mayfair it the next day, then that would have worked. The only question is, here he only said, that he says, I want to uphold the nether for today. And therefore, you're left with the situation in which we don't know what to make of the inference, whether we make the inference or don't make the inference. But had he explicitly said that, that it was nullified starting tomorrow, that would have worked. Then the Gemara goes on and says, Imtim Salomar. If you want to suggest over here, Halo Amala. He didn't make any statement. So therefore, we can't take him beyond his word, which is that he's Mikhaim the Nether. So then, what about this statement? Your Nether is nullified tomorrow. Maho. What's the din here? That tomorrow he doesn't have the ability to be Mayfair. Because based on the fact that he says tomorrow it's nullified, implies that today he is Mikayim, he upholds the nether. Odilva Kaven Dolo Amarla Kaim Ayom, or maybe because he did not explicitly state that today he is upholding the nether, therefore Kikamarla Mufar the Machar, when he says it's nullified tomorrow, Mehayom Kamar, it's as if he said from today it is Mufar. So then in this case you would suggest again in the abstract from the question that if he said, if he said that I'm a Kaimit today, then for sure we would know that it's problematic. But otherwise, the question arises because he only said, So actually, that inference is the exact opposite of the inference that we just made before. And that's what the Quran points out over here. And then the next scenario, like our scenario here, it makes it sound like that if you said, Hayom, that I was Mikayimit, and I was Mufar the Machar, it doesn't work at all. So you actually have opposite inferences from the questioning of Rabbah, meaning that they're assuming different things in each stage of the Gemara. It's not really an Imtim Salomar, but they're actually changing their position. And so what the Ran points out is that Mikashin Adadi, that they are actually mutually exclusive. The premises of each of these questions are mutually exclusive. Nevertheless, Ella Rabba Bakulu Gavne Misvekale. Rabba doesn't know the answer, and therefore he's trying out all the different options. He's not saying yes, no, or the way that the Gemara presents it over here, Imtim Salomar, 
which is if you conclude, and that is a real conclusion, what Rav is trying to do is test the limitations, and he just doesn't know which way it's going to work. And therefore, he calls it a lishna katiya nakat. It's a cut-off statement. You could have stated these questions the opposite way as well, which is, He could have put the question or posed the question in a different manner or in the opposite manner. And therefore, what the Ran concludes is that Rabbah is just trying to figure out what the answer is. He doesn't have any premise and anything that looks like an inference from what he's stating in his questions. We don't take seriously because you can really make mutually exclusive inferences, and that would be inconclusive. And even though that sounds like a abstract question, like I noted before, and then in the abstract you would say the inference is this way and the inference is that way, it actually has a lot of ramifications because of the fact that this Gemara is going to end completely inconclusive. And we know with regards to Nindarim, that when you come to a point that it's not conclusive, that we go to Chumrah. So if you're going to go to Chumrah, you have to know which of these two inferences is right. And therefore, the Rishonim and Achronim come out with different conclusions to the Gemara when you say which is the Chumrah. Because each question here presents itself in a manner which would lead to a different inference and a different conclusion, the Chumrah. So whether you say that Mufar or Kiyum has an impact in which one was said based on the two questions will also impact on the way that you view the halachic outcome of going the Chumrah. Then the Gemara continues with this line of reasoning or this line of questioning. It says, V'imtim salomar if you want to say, since he allowed it to be mikuyam hayom today, lamachar, when he comes to tomorrow, dami, it's as if it exists already, and therefore you can't do anything anymore. Because we know that the Baal and the Father, the right to be made for the darim, is not a permanent status or a permanent option. It's beyom shamo. On the day that they hear it, they're given a window of opportunity in order to nullify it. So, Biyom Shamo is the case. So, if he already is Mikayimit on Biyom Shamo, when it comes to the Machar, you're already outside the window of opportunity in which you could have been Mayfair, you could have nullified the Neder. And therefore, our conclusion in all these cases would be that it is Mikuyam. So, let's pose the question this way, which is, Kaim Lechi Sha'ah Mahu. If he says the nether is mikuyam for one hour, what's the din? Over here, is it like he said that it's nullified after that hour expires? Or maybe he never explicitly made any statement. Now, this is different than the original question, which used Hayom. It sounds similar because the question, again, is the same. Do we make an inference out of his statement or not? But over here, there's a lot more room or maneuverability. Because in the previous case, where we were trying to draw an inference, the inference impacted on a time period after in which he was empowered to deal with the nether. And therefore we were saying, well, in the future, if that's what he meant, then maybe that also impacts on the here and now. But in this instance, the question is talking about within that time period where he has the right to nullify it, he is limiting the kiyom to a shah. Does that automatically mean that he's nullifying after that point in time? Or does that mean that he is doing nothing after that point in time. If he does nothing, silence, in this case, is acquiescence. And therefore, if he says nothing, then it's Mikhaim the Nether if that time period expires. So that's the nature of the Gemara's question here. The Gemara again says, Imtim Saloma, Halo Amarla. He didn't say anything. Miu. 
My, if he did say it, then what's the din? Me, I mean, the kaimo kaimo. Since he was mikayim the nether already, that's it. You get one look at the nether, and if you're mikayim it, then you're done. Odilma came in the kuleyoma bar hakamo bar hafaro. Mo, maybe because the entire day biyom shamo, he has the ability both to be mikayim it and to mefir it to nullify it. When he says that it's nullified after an hour, that's within his rights, because the time period in which he's able to exercise his rights still is open, because he has that ability for the whole day. Now, as the Rosh points out over here, The Gemara here knows, and Rabba knows for sure, that if he just simply says that I uphold the nether, we're done. There's no reopening or re-examining that because once he's mekayim the neder, that is all that we need in order for it to be concluded, and his ability to be made for after that is eliminated. The only question here is because of the nature of the language that he uses, which is only mekayim it for a sha'a, because he limits the amount of time that he is mekayim it. Does that give him the opportunity then to exercise his right of nullification after that hour expires? But again, if he said it's Tam, that he's Mikayamit, there's no question that the nether is Mikuyam. So now the Gemara says, Tashma. So let's try to prove it from this case. Hareni Nizira, the woman takes upon herself a nether Nizirut, Bishama Bala, and her husband hears it. Vamar, Vani, I'm also want to be a Nazir. Ain Yokola affair. That point is no longer able to nullify his wife's nether. So now, in terms of what happened here? The woman takes a nether nizirut. Her nether nizirut then is subject to the husband's ability to be mekayim, to uphold it, or to be mefer, or to nullify it. But the husband, instead of addressing that issue head on, goes ahead and declares himself a nazir similar to his wife. Now, the only way that his hat pasa, as we call it, his ability to be matpis and generate the nether upon himself is if his wife's nether is a good nether. So now, once his wife's nether is a good nether, that means that he, in essence, upheld his wife's nether. Because if he doesn't uphold her nether, then he doesn't have the ability to be my peace and to transfer that isur upon self in order to generate the nether for himself. Just like we saw before in the Gemara, where you had, you had a daisy chain of nether, where one person took a nether, and then the next person posited his nether, premised on the first person's nether, and so on and so forth. It was daisy-chained downward. Then, if we were made for the first one, the whole thing falls apart. So the same thing over here. The only way for his nether to take effect is that his wife's nether also takes effect. So based on that, the Gemara says, that teaches you that over here, when he says, Vani, that ain't your whole affair. He's not able to be Mayfair, Bamai. Why not? Neyma Vani Damarhu Alnafshay Davi Nazir. That when he said Vani, it means that I want to be a Nazir. Avarini Nizira Dila Bishahat Kaima Lachasha Ibailefe. Why don't we say with regards to the nether of his wife that he's upholding it for an hour in order to generate the Hatpasa to create create his nether nizirut? And after that point in time, you have the option to nullify his wife's nether. Why do you have to suggest over here that automatically when he upholds his wife's nether, that that's what grants him the ability to be a nazir is upholding his wife's nether. That's right. So let him uphold his wife's nether for an hour. 
Then he'll be my peace, generate his net and his root, and then after that he'll be made for it. My and your chodafer. Why can't he be made for? La mishum, the came in the kaimo, kaimo. Maybe because once you're mekayim the nether, there's no one doing the nether. Even if you're mekayim it for a short duration, for an hour, that's the end of the line, and you can't be made for. You can't nullify it after that point in time. So now what's interesting over here is to take note of the fact that there's a difference between hatarat nidarim and hafarat nidarim. Because as we said before, when you do this daisy chain nether, and you get hatarat nidarim for the first in that group, the whole thing falls apart. And nobody is deemed to have made the nether because you took out the first person in that daisy chain. That all works because the way that Hatarat Nidarim works is retroactively. And it's as if the nether never existed. So since the first person's nether never existed, or what the nether upon the first person never existed, then the extension from that person to the other parties never works because you've eliminated the nether completely. On the other hand, with the Afarah of the Baal, the nullification of the Baal, we know that that is only prospective. It's migas gais. It cuts off the nether. It does not retroactively undermine it. And that's what allows us the opportunity to ask this question. Because the possibility is that if the Baal upheld the nether for an hour of his wife and then nullified it, he could be mapis the nether. That would not work with Hatara. If it was matir the nether of his wife, then his nether would fall apart automatically because his nether was premised on her nether. On the other hand here, when he's using the hafara as the way to eliminate his wife's nether, hafara is a prospective nullification of the nether. Based on that, if he upholds it for an hour, he can be but peace his nether and his root in that hour, and then afterwards nullify the nether, which would be prospective, and that still would keep his nether intact. And that's why there's a question here with regards to the hafara of the Baal, because it's different than hatarat nidarim. So the Gemara's question here is, at least let us answer this question with regards to Shachat, whether it works. And truthfully, if you solve the problem with Shachat, that would have implications to most of the questions that we asked before. Because Shachat is the most likely scenario in which we would suggest that it's possible for him to be Mikhaim the Nether for a short duration, then be made for it. If that fails, then certainly the case where he did it Ayom and Machar and other scenarios would also fail in that instance. So then the Gemara is trying to conclude based on this case from Nazir, that it must be that Shachat doesn't work, and then he can nullify it because the Mishnah is saying definitively, he cannot be made for that nether whatsoever. But if the opportunity to allow for an hour and then nullify it after the hour was possible, then he should be able to be made for it after that hour expires. So Gemara says, no, do not conclude that. Kasavar kol vani kemandamar kaim olam dami. When a person says Vani, the default assumption there, unless he states otherwise, is that he's Mikhaim the nether of his wife. When he says I also, that in a sense is an acquiescence or approval of his wife's nether. Because of the fact that instead of saying I am at peace with my wife's nether, but I'm also nullifying her nether, then it would be clear what his intent was. But if he just says Vani without making that qualification, then we assume that he meant to be Mikayim, to uphold his wife's nether permanently, and to extend it to himself, to make himself a Nazir as well. So it's the nature of the language there that's generating the lack of ability to be made for after the fact, because we assume that once he says Vani, that automatically generates a Kiyom, a nether for his wife. Now then, maybe if he explicitly said that he was Mikayim for an hour and made for it for an hour, it would work. 
if he made that stipulation. And therefore, the Gemara is inconclusive over here. And as I said before, once it's inconclusive by Nidarim, which is a dindo raita, then we'd go to Chumrah. And so in most cases, we'd assume that there is a kium over here in terms of the Chumrah. The only question goes back to the original part, or the original cases, which I mentioned before, which is whether you infer from there that there is a position in which Rabbah is certain it would work. If, for instance, you said, does that automatically work? And is that sufficient in order to generate the hafara, Or is it the other way around? Once you say, we know for sure that it's mikuyam. Depending on what you think is the assumption behind the question, then going the Chumrah would depend on what you start with. So if you start with Kaim Lechi being automatically a Kiyum, then in almost all instances, the Chumrah would end up with a Kiyum. If you start with the assumption that Kaim Lechi Mufar Lechi is good enough to be made for the Nether, then the Chumrah would only come up in the cases where it did not conform to that format or to that statement of Mufar Lechi. Okay, so now we move on to the next Mishnah. The next Mishnah discusses what we have discussed back on Samachet as well, which is Meitaav, Lonit Rokna Rishutabal. When the father passes away, his ability to nullify the daughter's Nidarim do not pass to the husband. Meitabal, on the other hand, if the husband passes away, Rokna Rishutab. Then the ability of the husband to nullify Nidarim is possessed by the father or is relinquished to the father. Now here you see that the father's ability, or the father's power to nullify the nidarim, is greater than that of the Baal of the husband. But the Varacher, on the other hand, in another instance, the husband has more power than the father, which is that the husband can be made fair when it comes to a Bogeret, when she's already reached the age where she's no longer deemed a nara after the age of 12 and a half, then the husband has that right. Whereas, once the woman becomes independent, when she's left the auspices of her father, that can happen either because she gets married or because she ages out of her father's ability to be made for her nidarim, there he will no longer have rights on the woman, which the Baal will have over the woman. Now, the Gemara is going to ask what exactly the case is here, but let us assume for now that the case is talking about a Nara Hamurasa. And a Nara Hamurasa, we know that the father and the husband share the right to be made for Nidarim. And so the question that's arising in the Mishnah is, when the father dies, what are the rights of the husband at that point in time? He has a Nara Hamurasa where he has at least 50% of the right to be made for the Nether. Does he then gain the other 50% of the absence of the father in that case? Or do we say that the father's possession or ability to be made for the Nidarim never is relinquished, or the husband never takes possession of it, and therefore he basically cannot be made for the Nidarim of this Nara Murasa? On the other hand, if it's the opposite way around, where the father has that right, and the husband passes away, meaning that while they have Erusin, they never consummated the marriage, and the husband passes away, does that then relinquish that right back to the father? And the father alone could be made for Nidarim. So that's the question that is being answered by this Mishnah, which is that it's a one-way street. The father has the ability to take over the husband's rights, 
but the husband does not have the right to take over the father's rights. Now, my time up. What's the reasoning behind this? The way that the Ran explains it, so does the Rosh explains this over here, the question is relating to the Halacha and the Mishnah, which is that the husband does not inherit the right of the father. The Gemara knows and the Mishnah knows that the father does have that right. And now the Gemara's question here is, why not? Why is the husband not similar to the father? Or, in other words, why don't we have a hekish between the rights of the father and the rights of the husband? If that's the case, then when the father passes away, the husband should have full rights to be made for the nether. Why is that not the case? And that's the Gemara's question here. My time, huh? binureha beta viha. That when she is binureha, then beta viha retains rights. The way that Rashi states it over here is that as long as she is in Ara, she never leaves the possession of her father. Even when she's in Arusa, so therefore, the husband never takes full possession because the father's rights over here, or the Beta Via, never expires or never leaves. It's not really dependent on the father, it's Beta Via meaning that the household of the father. Now, we know that those rights do not pass down to the children, meaning that the father does not grant in his inheritance to his inheritors the right to nullify the daughters. So if the father, quote-unquote, still has that right, and he doesn't inherit it or grant that inheritance to his children, then you're left in a situation where there's a portion of this nether that cannot be nullified. If that's the case, the husband alone can't do it. That's what the Ran says over here. Even though the Av is not present, Beta Via survives the father himself. It's not Avia, but Beta Via, and therefore it survives. So you're stuck in a quandary by which the father still has the right. Beta Via has the right, but the father's not here, and he doesn't get that to the children or to his inheritors. Therefore, you're left in a position where nobody can be made for that section or that piece of the nether. So that's the reason why the Baal does not have a right alone to be made for the nether when the father passes away. On the other hand, Minolan, how do we know that it works the other way around? Which is that when the father is left alone, after the husband passes away, that the father inherits all rights and he can be made for the nether. So Amarabo, or the alternative girso is Amarobo, Damakra, the Pasuk says, So here, because of the duplication or the double lashon of Hayotia, as we saw before with Tanah Debei Rabbi Shema, when we're talking about Hoyo and Tia, we're talking about Erusin over here, that's a Havaya, and there's a Hekish over here. Since there's a Hayotiyeh, Leish. So, Mekish, there's a Hekish here between the status of the woman before she marries for the second time, similar to the status she had before she married the first time. Just like before she had a Rusim for the first time, the father had sole rights to his daughter. Similarly, the father, with regards to prior to the second marriage, holds or retains that same right to be made for alone. So this is actually the Hekesh, if you remember back when we asked about Tanah Debei Rabbi Shmael, 
what do they do with the Pasuk Mahoyotiyah? They say they darshan like rabble. This is the rabble or the rova that they were speaking about over there. This Hekesh, which grants the father sole rights to be made for the neder of his daughter after the husband passes away. And that has to do with this Hekesh, which says just like prior to the daughter ever being married, the father had sole rights to nullify his daughter's neder. And only once the husband enters the picture does he have to share it with the husband. Then if the husband passes away, and now she's going to marry someone else, or hopefully she'll marry someone else, that's called Kodme Havayashniya. That's her state prior to marrying the second time. And in that period of time, prior to marrying the second time, the father has the same rights he had prior to her marrying the first time. Just like prior to her marrying the first time, the father had full rights to nullify the neder. So too, prior to marrying the second time, the father has full rights to be made for the neder which in essence says that the father inherits that right that the Baal took. And we've seen this throughout the Gemara over here, that there's a certain amount of unevenness in the ability or the nature of the Hafarah, the father and the husband. With regards to the father, the father has a very strong right in the nullification of his daughter. The husband seems to have almost like an appended right to nullify the neder. And therefore, the father always ends up on the upper hand here where the husband's eliminated, the father then can go back to his original status and be made for the Nidarim, which is not true in the reverse, that when the father dies, the husband does not have a strong enough hold here to not only be, take on his hafara, but to take on the father's hafara. So Gemara says, Let us say that that's only true with regards to Nidarim that the Arus never had any indication of, meaning that he never saw them or he never knew about them. But once the Arus becomes aware of the fact that she has a neder, then that can no longer, or that right to be made for, can no longer be relinquished to the father. So that's what it say over here. So that's the Gemara suggestion over here. Here the Gemara presents it, or the way that we have in our Gemara, and that's what the Ran suggests over here, that this question is a proposition of the Gemara that let us say, or let us suggest, which the Gemara will reject. On the other hand, there are many Rishonim that are the Girsa Vahane Mile, not Ema, but Vahane Mile. This could only be true, Vinidre Shaloni Rularus. Only with the Darim that have not been available, or the Arus is not aware of, that would be the case. But once he becomes aware of them, then there's no way that they can be made fair than the Darim. Now, the reason the Gemara is going in this direction is because that would allow for the statement of Rav Rabbah to coordinate with the statement of Beit Hillel. We've seen that statement of Beit Hillel already, we're going to bump into it again, which is Beit Hillel says that the father does not gain the rights of the husband. So how do we reconcile between the fact that Beit Hillel says that the father does not get the rights of the husband, whereas over here, Rabbah or Rovo is saying that they do, that the father does get the rights of the husband. So the only way to do that is to differentiate or to distinguish the cases, to qualify it and say, that our case over here is a case, and the Arus never had any inkling of the nether. He never saw the nether. He never got wind of the nether. Since it was never available to him to be made for it, that's why the father repossesses it. On the other hand, by the case that Beit Hillel speaks about where the father will not inherit it, that's a case where the husband knew about the nether, or he knew about the nether and was made for it. Once he knows about the nether, then the father's rights are diminished in his ability to take it back from the bow. So that way, many of the Rishonim have the girsa behind Emile, 
basically stating that that's the way to reconcile, that's the only way to make sense out of what Rabbo and Rav are, are saying. Again, our gears in the Gemara is Ema. Let us suggest that that's the case. And the Gemara says, even Nidarim, Arus. If you're talking about a case of Nidarim that never were known by the Arus, we would know that already from Nureha Beta Viha. But Nureha Beta Viha suggests to us that as long as she is a Ni'ara, then Beta Viha, the father, has control over here. Zerashi brings down two interpretations. As long as she's still living in her father's house, he has the full rights to be made for her nether. And the Hekesh here would come to include even cases where the Baal knew about it. And the case by Beit Hillel must be a case where the husband knew about it and was also made for it. Right, so here you have two conclusions of the Gemara. Do you conclude here that the Gemara is rejecting the Havamina and saying that even when it appears to the Arus, or even though the Arus knew about the nether, therefore you're still allowed to nullify it, or the father alone will be allowed to nullify it if the husband is eliminated from the picture? Or is the conclusion, Vahani Mile, is this the case? And then the Gemara here is bringing a proof to that. Because the Hekesh works by comparing the status of the father prior to the first marriage to his status prior to the second marriage. And just like with his status with regards to prior to the first marriage, as Rashi says over here, that Dumya de Kodum Avayarishunakamar, the Matzim Mefer the Chudei, Nidarim Shlonir Larus. Just like prior to the first marriage, only Nidarim that he could nullify were Nidarim that the Arus never saw, because there is no Arus in the picture. So too, prior to the second marriage, it also will only allow him to be made for Nidarim that the Arus never saw. Therefore, it's upholding the position or the Hani Mile, the qualification that the Gemara made. Then Rashi brings a second Lashon Perishacher, which is along the lines of what we suggested before. That's the way the Ran and the Rashba are reading it, which is that the fact that it says Menorah Beit already teaches you that things that Shaloni Rilarus, the father definitely has control over, definitely has the right to nullify. And therefore the Hekesh must come to include something else. And what is that coming to include? It's things that even the Arus that saw would be included. Right now the Gemara continues and says, the latter half of the Mishnah, it says, that the father has this over the husband, but the husband has this over the father, which is the ability to deal with her when she is a Bogeret. It says, what's the case? What exactly is the scenario in the Mishnah? That she had Kiddushin when she was still in Nara, and then she turned into a Bogeret while she was already engaged. Let us look at this carefully. Mita motzia ubagrut motzia. Mita separates her or eliminates the control of her father. Ubagrut motzia, and so does her aging out, eliminate the rights of the father. Mishuta ma mita lonit Just like by death, the husband does not take over the rights of the father. Abagrut lonit So too, if she ages out then that right would not pass to the husband. So what the Gemara says over here, it's actually a Machloket Rashi, and the Ran as to exactly how to formulate this. Let's start with the, the Ran's approach here, which is that, so when the father dies, he loses his right to be Mayfair, but that right does not pass to the husband. So in a case where she's a Bogeret, which also eliminates the father's right to be Mayfair Nidarim, because the father only has rights to Mayfair Nidarim, his daughter, while she is a Ne'ara. 
after she's a Bulgarian, he no longer maintains that right. So then the same thing should happen over here, which is that when he loses that right, that right does not pass to the husband. If that's the case, then her becoming a Bulgarian after she was engaged with the Nara does not put the husband in a better position. He's no better off than if the father had passed away. And just like when the father passed away, it does not grant the right to the husband. So too, if she ages out from her father's rights, that right is not passed to the husband. That's the way the Ran learns it. Rashi learns it based on Kiddushin, which is a comparison to Kiddushin. Just like when the father dies, he no longer has the right to be Mikadesh's daughter. So too, when she becomes a Bogaret, he also loses the right to be Mikadesh or to accept Kiddushin on her behalf. Because that's only the case when she is a Ne'ara. And therefore, what Rashi says is, so just like Michte Mita Motsiya Mishot Av Shekhola now she has the right to be Mikadesh herself, Afopishi Ne'ara, even though she's a Ne'ara, Bagrut Motsiya Mishot Av. Kemishu Bagra, Ain Lavia Rishut Ba, Lola Kachav, Lola Mokra. Her father has no rights in her. So then, just like by the Mita Av, that does not pass to the Baal. So too, over here, by the Bulgarit, when she becomes a Bulgarit, it also does not pass over to the Baal. So it must be that the case here is, Ella Shekitsha Kashi Bulgarit. Must be a case where the husband here engaged, or became halakhali engaged to her when she was a Bulgarit. She was already aged out. So now, the father never had rights here. So when the husband comes and gets halakhali engaged to her, He's the sole bearer of the right of nullification because the father didn't exist. The father's rights don't exist. And that's why the husband has rights now is because the father was never a party to here. And that's what gives him a leg up on the father. The father's rights terminate once she passes the age of Na'ara. And the husband's rights start from the time that he becomes luckily engaged to her. And even if he becomes luckily engaged when she's already a Bulgarian, he still has that right. And that's how the husband has rights that are greater than the father the instant where the husband has greater rights than the father. What do you mean? We already have this in the Mishnah coming up in a couple of days in Dafayin Gimel, which is, A Bogeret that hung around for 12 months. Then we have a Machloket there between Rebbe and the Chachamim as to what her status is. Gemara then moves on to a sidebar and starts to challenge the Mishnah itself, forgetting about the question here in our Gemara, which is, you're telling me our mission is teaching us information that's going to appear in a Mishnah later on. Why does it need to teach us that information? It seems like a duplication of the same fact or same information. Then the Gemara here gets sidetracked and asks an ancillary question, which is, that Mishnah itself coming up in Ein Gimel seems to be problematic, which is, that she has to wait 12 months. Bibogeret, Lamalish Nemasarchodesh. Why do you have to wait twelve months? Bogeret Balamid Yom Sagila. A Bogeret thirty days is sufficient for her. So the Gemara's answer is Snei Bogeret Vishishata Yubet Chodesh. So here we're talking about a Bogeret or someone that waited twelve months. So the way the Ran reads this Gemara, the Gemara's question is why does the Bogeret have to wait twelve months in order to have the bow? have rights here to be made for her nidarim. What is this 12 months? Now the assumption being that the 12 months are the 12 months granted by the Chachamim when a husband and wife became halachically engaged, the clock starts ticking, and they have 12 months to prepare themselves for that marriage. And if the husband fails to take his wife at that point in time at the 12-month expiration, 
then he is now chayav b'mizonotah, he has to provide for her, he has to take care of her, and seemingly that chayav b'mizonot grants him the right to also be mefer in nidarim. That's the way Rashi phrases it over here, that the mizonot themselves, or the fact that he's supplying her, providing for her, gives him also the right of hafara, gives him the right to now be mefer in nidarim. So the assumption is that's what the Mishnah is speaking about, that it's a case where they became halakhically engaged, now he's to wait 12 months. The problem that all the Rishonim point out is that the Gemara and Tubot discussed this, and that was Rav Huna's position. Rav Huna's position was that a Ne'ara gets 12 months, and a Bulgarit gets 30 days. The Gemara there rejected Rav Huna's position and says, no, that a Bulgarit also gets 12 months, not 30 days. What the Ran notes is that the Gemara over there is not exactly conclusive in that way, that everybody gets 12 months, but rather the Bulgarit gets 12 months assuming that she got engaged in the first day she became a Bulgarit. But as she ages through her being a Bulgarit, then she only has the remaining time of the 12 months. So she, six months into being a Bulgarit, gets engaged, then Chazal will give her six months in order to prepare herself. And at that point in time, the husband then becomes responsible for her. But if she gets engaged after 11 months after being a Bulgarit, or any time after that, she would only get 30 days. And that's what the Ran says here is the question of the Gemara. The focus of the question of the Gemara is, even if we reject Ravuna, still by Bulgarit, it's not definitive that she always gets 12 months. Sometimes she will get 12 months, but in the majority of scenarios, she will not get 12 months. The Gemara's answer is, nay, Bulgarit, Vishishata, Yubet Chodesh. That the case there is not a case of the Bulgarit that did wait 12 months, but rather, the case is a Bulgarit or a girl who was in Nara who waited 12 months. In that case, the rights of the husband to be made for Nidarim go into effect because he's now obligated in Irmazanot and he's chayav to take her as a wife at that point in time. So that's the answer to the Gemara, that to deal with that Mishnah, or the Lashon of that Mishnah is, it's not definitive that a Bulgarit is 12 months, but rather, a Bulgarit is one scenario, and Chodesh, or a girl who waited 12 months, in the case of a Bulgarit, for instance, that got married on the first day she became a Bulgarit, that would be the same, that would be 12 months. But not that the 12 months are coming to modify the word Bulgarit in the Mishnah. That's the way the Ran learns. On the other hand, the Rosh says that the conclusion of the Gemara is here is Mishanei Tanei Bulgarit Shishahatayud Bet Chodesh. A Bulgarit that did wait 12 months, Umatnita Chadaktani. And our Mishnah is talking about one case. Velo Vishishata Bivav. Not a case with the Vav. So the Rosh says that the conclusion of the Gemara is just the opposite, which is that they're not adding in a Vav, or at least according to his Girsa, it's Bogar Shishata Yudbutchodesh. That's the case over here, and that is because he has a Girsa in the original case, which is that the Mishnah says, Abogaret Vishishata Yudbutchodesh. Mashalai perish to Matitanachi, Abogaret Uktana Shishata, Vicholachad Mayan Shishata Yudbutchodesh. That each one of them who waited 12 months, it's also in the case of Bugaret. Because if not, then the mission is not explained to us how long the Bugaret waits. You can't say she gets married immediately because she can't be any worse than an Almana who gets at least 30 days. Why does the Bugaret get 12 months when she's married? And they don't want to answer like Ravuna says over there, but Perak Afal P. 
Habogert Shashat Alamid Yom, Uktana Shashat Ayubet Kodesh, to separate out the time periods. Mishom, the Ravuna, he told of Hotam, because Ravuna's position is rejected over there. Hilkach Mibayle, the Fresh Yubet Kodesh, Habogert Kai. Therefore, the Gemara over here wants to conclude that the Yubet Kodesh is defining the Bogert as well. And the Gemara's answer is, according to the Rosh, that's Nei Bogert Shashat Ayubet Kodesh. It's one case. Vachi Perusho, Bogert Shashat Ayubet Kodesh, Bibagruta. So that's what it's saying, that a Bulgarian already waited for 12 months, she gets 30 days. So again, the Ran and the Rosh have opposite Girsa oaths, and therefore their conclusions are the opposite, which is the Ran thinks the whole question is, why is 12 months true by a Bulgarian? And the conclusion of the Gemara is, no, that 12 months is separate from the case of Bulgarian. There's a case of Bulgarian, there's a case of 12 months. The Rosh, on the other hand, says that's the Gemara's problem originally, because the Gemara is assuming that if you had Bulgarit Visha Shata, one's talking about the Bulgarit, one's talking about the Ktana, but they both have to wait 12 months. The Gemara's conclusion is that it's Bulgarit Shashata Yubet Chodesh. There's only one case here, it's a case of Bulgarit that waited 12 months. Once she's past that 12 month point, she only has to wait 30 days. And that's what the Mishnah is speaking about over there. Now, once the Gemara has dealt with this corollary question, it goes back to the original question, which is Mikomokom Kasha. Why do I need two Mishnayot to tell me the same thing? Here is the main scenario in which the Mishnah is discussing the case of Bulgarit. And the reason it brings it up in the upcoming Mishnah is only because it wants to explain to you the Machlok between Rabbi Lazar and the Chachamim. Now the Rad takes issue with this and says he does not understand, does not like the Lashona of the Gemara here, because if this case is Davka, then the next Mishnah is very important. Because this Mishnah is a Stam Mishnah. And the Stam Mishnah over here says that, in case of Bugaret, the husband has full rights if he's already passed the time in which he should have taken her as a wife. On the other hand, the Mishnah upcoming is a Machloket, which makes it into a Stam Vacharkach Machloket. If you have a Stam Vacharkach Machloket, the latter Mishnah actually governs, and therefore it's not a Stam Mishnah. So the Ran says, I don't understand what the Gemara is saying here, Davka here, and later on is just coming to teach you the Machloket. Well, if that's the case, the second Mishnah becomes very important, because that teaches you Stam Vacharkach Machloket. So the Ran rephrases this in a little more of a nuanced manner in order to solve that problem, and says that when the Gemara says here, Davka, it means that this Mishnah is really one with the upcoming Mishnah. And it starts talking about Bogeret over here, and concludes speaking about it on Dafayin uh, Gimel in the Mishnah over there. But not to say one's Davka or Lav Davka. He basically says, when it says Davka, it means Lav Davka Davka. That's how the Ran phrases it. But he means that when you say Davka, it means that this Mishnah is the beginning of the discussion about Bulgaret, and that's continued in the upcoming Mishnah. So that's one way to answer why we have this duplication of the Din by Bulgaret. The Ibaidema, that Bulgaret Davka, that the case in the Mishnah on Gimel is Davka. And the only reason Bulgaria appears in our Mishnah has nothing to do with the din of Bulgaria. That'll be discussed later on. So when we say Lab Davka over here, we mean that it's two separate cases. The Mishnah over here is totally separate from the Mishnah 9 Gimel. The Mishnah 9 Gimel is the main case discussing this issue of a Bulgaria. Now, why does our Mishnah bring Bulgaria down? It has nothing to do with Bulgaria, but it has to do with the structure of our Mishnah. Our Mishnah says the father has this greater right over the husband. And then the mission wants to present the opposite side, which is when does the husband have a greater right than the father? And that's in this case a Bulgarit. So the Mishnah is bringing down not to teach you the din of Bulgarit, but rather to have it in that structure of the Mishnah, which is 
contrasting the position of the father and the Baal. In some cases, the father is stronger. In some cases, the Baal is strong. What's the case the Baal is stronger? It's Bogeret. But it's not coming to teach you the Din. That Din is learned in the Mishnah 9 Gimel. Why is it brought in our Mishnah? Because of the ratio. The ratio of the Mishnah discusses when the father is stronger. So the Savior just discusses the case where the husband is stronger. Okay, we're going to stop over here by the end of the Gemara on Daf Ayin Omid Bet.